This, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Hi listeners, this is Brent Sutton. Welcome to the 53rd episode of the Practice of Learning Teams podcast show. On today's show, Glynis McCarthy, Brent Robinson and I discuss psychological safety within the context of a learning team. We also talk about the four stages of psychological safety from the book of the same name by author and former CEO Timothy R. Clarke. The links to the author's book titled The Four Stages of Psychological Safety, Defining the Path to Inclusion and Innovation can be found in the show notes. Please sit back and enjoy this discussion with us on psychological safety and learning teams. Well, team, I had a really fascinating phone call this morning um, with our good friend uh, Rosa Carrillo in the US. Oh, wow. And... uh, Rose has been very kind to uh, read the draft of our new white paper on everyday learning and, and providing us with some feedback, which has been uh, really valuable. And, and during that conversation, um, we, the topic of you know, psychological safety came up and that whole topic that if we want workers to be engaged, um, you know, we need to create that environment of psychological safety for them to become engaged. And I thought today that would actually have that sort of conversation because it's the word is used a lot, but I sort of have this feeling that it has whole lots of different types of meanings. And I thought, let's talk about it within the context of a learning team. Yep. Because, because ultimately, you know, when we, when we run a learning team, the people that are going to participate in that learning team are going to come to that learning team with different views, different perspectives, different filters and different needs and it's no different we don't expect everyone to be engaging at a high level we expect that some people want will want to contribute more than others and that may be because they're just you know naturally reserved or they may have had some uh, previous life experiences or it could just simply be a cultural belief that they carry and you may recall that when we did that work around the pdca model we basically said that um, you know, both preparation, having clear purpose, preparing for the learning team, communicating that to the stakeholders, and then empowering the learning team was vitally important. And we identified the difference between the role of the leadership in the learning team versus the role of the facilitator. And that, you know, we, we want leadership to sponsor the learning team. And it may be that the leader starts the session and, and tries to, I suppose, establish that circle or establish those fundamental framework of, of psychological safety. You know, Brent, I like to really think about it in terms of you're taking responsibility for the group or for the team, right? You're, you're as facilitator, helping set those boundaries and you're sitting in the fire, aren't you, at that point? You've got, as you said, you've got a whole bunch of people that are coming in there five to eight people sometimes 
uh, that are coming in there. And, and what you're trying to do as facilitator is be responsible for that group and help them move along the process, help them understand each other's points of view, but not necessarily, you know, validating points of view, but not necessarily agreeing or disagreeing with that point of view and, and helping create that, foster that deeper understanding that you're trying to get from that group. Yeah, so, so we, we talked about um, that we want workers to be listened to. We want them to be respected as an equal, that, that everyone is, is there to, to share and explore, that we want them to be able to raise issues as they see it. Um, we want them to be able to give ideas. Uh, we, we want those people to be acknowledged about their contribution and encouraged, and more importantly, we want them to be able to challenge as well. Yep. You know, I think that's really important. That's and, important. And, and, and then the last one is to be recognized as the experts or be recognized as competent in the work that they do. And I think that framework really sets people up to support that notion of um, I suppose, in broad terms, um, psychological safety. Because I, I think, you know, that if we think about buzzwords, this is not about trust. Trust, trust is something that, that can't be sort of um, um, earned, if that makes sense. Like, it's up to the worker to decide if they trust in the process. It's up to the worker to decide if they trust in the facilitator. It's up to the worker to decide if they trust in the organisation. And we all know how trust can easily be broken. It's not difficult takes a long time to build it it's really easy to lose it yeah you can destroy it in seconds really but i think you know establishing that frame and i think every learning team is going to be different and before we've spoken about the fact that you know if if you're using a learning team looking at an event there is going to be an emotional element attached to that regardless versus if using a learning team to to review uh, a risk or to review a, uh, an activity, to, to review an improvement. You don't have that same sort of emotional um, uh, attachment or issues that may arise. Yep. People may be vocal, but we're not dealing with that emotion of uh, misery that has occurred. And I think, uh, Brett Robinson, you, you touched on it um, the other week. You know, um, workers have long memories. Organizations have short memories. Yeah, very short. <laughs> Yeah, so, so we expect that workers will share with us or tell us or whatever way they want to communicate um, stuff that they remember from the past. Hmm. And it's interesting when those things come out. So I'm dealing with a group at the moment that are in the middle of some industrial action, right? So they are bringing up things that came from 10 years ago, stuff that wasn't done in their mind or in their opinion and the management team that they're dealing with has only been there for four years. So they don't have any context around any of these things. And it's really interesting to watch that, you know, it really does come back to that uh, worker memory versus organizational memory in, in this particular context to really understand. So, you know, trying to get those two parties to um, see each other's point of view is actually relatively difficult. And that managed with uh, the ongoing fatigue of COVID lockdowns mm-hmm. certainly doesn't help. You know, it's added a new dimension to these types of things as you move forward. 
Yeah, so there's obviously there's some uh, latent trauma from the past. Yep. And that's being triggered by the presence. Yep. I don't think that you can say that you have, um, I don't think that psychological safety is a binary concept. So I don't think it's either there or it's not there. Um, when you think about what is psychological safety, it's, you know, it's something around the belief that you believe that you're not going to be punished or humiliated or embarrassed or rejected because you put your thoughts forward. So, you, so that's really contingent then on making sure that the person who's facilitating the learning team has a really good understanding and really strong competency skills around how do they frame up a learning team. So, you know, I think from a facilitator's point of view, they have to be able to do five things. They have to be able to make uh, creating a, a, a space for psychological safety as a priority. They have to facilitate that um, people participate and the opportunities for people to participate and certainly minimize um, when things start to become um, quite pointed or heated, uh, but allow that the, the opportunity for discussion to take place and for, for conflicts to arise. Um, they're the ones, the, the facilitator is the one that creates the norms on how conflict or difference is are going to be mediated throughout that learning team. Uh, they create the space for new ideas and they, you know, they're the ones that embrace uh, diversity. So unless you have a strong facilitator in a learning team, actually, I don't even think you get onto the, the, the starting blocks often because all of those um, issues from the past can come to the fore and actually it can just become, uh, you know, a, a free-for-all. Yeah, I agree. It, it, quite often you see... Um things that need to be, you know, you could call them a hot spot and you know they're coming and people will actually divert around them and not deal with them. And I think that's actually worse than trying to deal with them. You know, you've got to, you've got to work out how you're going to deal with them. You've got to poke around. You've got to validate the views from different parties that might be in that room and then work out, get everybody to get some level of understanding, even if they don't get agreement on it. There's some stuff we have to do there to make it, make it work for us. And I think yeah, you're right that the it's those if you don't get those things right, you're not going anywhere. You're just going to go down a rabbit hole that you might never get out of. And I think there's that conflict that that we that it's it's that whole thing that we think we're trying to get common we're trying to get common agreement, but that's yep. the fact we're trying to get common understanding. Yes. And I think Glennis, you have that that classic saying that we're trying to get people to look at it through the lens of others. Mm. We're not, we're not asking them to become the other person. We're simply asking them to look at it through the lens of the other person. I think in order for us to get um, psychological safety, it is based on a, on a number of premises that, you know, that people have to believe um, and accept that others have, you know, different beliefs and different perspectives, different opinions, um, that people have different hopes, aspirations, that people have different vulnerabilities, that ha people have different allegiances and, and alliances, and that kind of what you went back, what you were saying, Brent, that people ultimately feel that their contributions are going to be respected and appreciated and that they're going to be acknowledged for their competency, that they are bringing something to the table. Um, you know, I think that unless we, unless in learning teams, unless there is an opportunity to determine our scope of a learning team and to determine psychological safety, I think that it can be really hit and miss. So again, for me, it's really one of the important parts of a facilitator is they have to set that scene. Yeah. 
And I think, um, you know, one of the other things that we should sort of touch on is uh, when should the leadership be involved in the learning team? Because it's great for them to be involved at the beginning, which is setting the scene. And then we should really bring them back towards the end of the learning team, where the learning team is able to present back to the leadership what they have found or what they have discovered, what they have learned from that. Because um, all that good work, how much of something being misunderstood of what a leader would say or how a leader might act or even how the body language of a leader, like rolling their eyes or sighing, how much of that could then undo all that other work quickly? It, it, well, it can. And I, I think you've got to, that's where I see some of the failures that we've, you know, we've all experienced is you get a leader in the room. And quite honestly, they're, they're trying to be open and honest sometimes. But the message being received is based on the perception of the people in that room. Right, and you're never going to align those two things. I think it needs to be short and sharp. And here's here's what we're, you know, setting the scene, and then out. The worst ones I've seen is when you got the leader still in the room because it just doesn't open up. It stays shut and very, very hard to break through <clears throat> and get any conversation, any conversation going. So that whole notion of communication as given versus communication as received. Yes. Sounds a bit like couples therapy, um, <laughs> which is basically, um, you know, that whole notion that what one person says and how the other person hears the fact, because look, all of us, all of us, including myself, um, there's a difference between active listening and judging. And we're all prone to want to judge information as we receive it because we're applying our own filter. I think we're all guilty of doing that. You're trying to put it into your own context, right? Yeah. Yeah. So any any tips or tricks for people about that? About your know, communication as given versus communication as received? Brent, I'm surprised that you didn't rattle off what we were taught in adult literacy, and that was that you speak to communicate and listen to understand. You know, you know yourself that when we're in a listening role, we typically are listening to think about how we're going to respond. And so, again, I think as, as a facilitator, we need to, to model that, but we also need to pull people up when we're in a learning team and people start to, uh, to really listen to what they're going to respond. So, again, you know, be very mindful of people and agendas. There's a really interesting book. Um, it's by a fellow called Tim Clark from the States, um, The Four Stages of Psychological Safety, Defining the Path to Inclusion and Innovation. And he's got some really interesting points. He talks about uh, psychological safety running across four stages. And it's very much in line with what we've been talking about. Uh, stage one is about inclusion safety. So I think that's kind of where you start off, isn't it? That's about you know our basic need to connect with one another. That's that basic respect and accepting one another. Stage two is about learner safety. So that's about the possibility opening up opportunities for learning um, by sharing ideas, asking questions, giving and receiving feedback, making mistakes. Stage three is about contributor safety. That's where you, you feel safe to make contributions. And this allows that kind of moderate risk-taking 
you know, where we can test out some ideas, some assumptions um, without fear of, of rep retribution or, or, you know, being rejected or admonished. And then stage four is about challenger safety. You know, when you feel safe, safe to speak up and to challenge the status quo. And actually, I think that that language sits really nicely with what we're sort of talking about. And that the role of the facilitator, I suppose, is really to read the participants to understand where they sit in terms of those stages. You know, are they really new to this as a process? Is the organization new to this as a process? Then possibly where you would be sitting would be stage one and stage two. Yeah. But actually, well, if the organization is, is more familiar, if, they're, if they can see that there's a value in this, actually, chances are you're up at stage three, stage four. I really like that point around inclusion safety. Mm. Because I've seen the negative side of that, where you've got a group together to discuss a particular issue or problem, and somebody has been left out. So when the fix comes along, because they weren't part of the original discussion, they're much more reticent to move to the new process. And, it's, and we had an example of that last year. And we just, we missed it, you know. This particular person actually had some really good stuff that they could have contributed, but then were felt that they were outside of the loop and it's really interesting so very much going back to your point about i want to feel included therefore i'm part of the uh part of the discussion and part of the solution moving forward so you know i like those four stages mm, and, yeah, and if we think about a, a learning team we have that uh physical break between the problem identification problem clarity mode of a learning team how we start it then we have soap time and that then leads into problem solving, you know, ideas and improvement. And I just sort of wonder whether that soak time actually aids in psychological safety as well, Glynis, because it's because it's setting people up for that next component. Yeah, absolutely. I look, I think um, it, going back to what Brent Robinson has just said, I think it depends what the starting point is. If you come into this and it's very adversarial, I suspect you probably get stuck at kind of at probably the inclusion and the kind of the learner you know, the learner safety component stages one and two, if we were to, you know, sit alongside what Tim Clark is saying, um, you know, I think that quite often it takes a while. And if people aren't in a position where they can take um, interpersonal risk, you know, if they don't feel safe enough to put themselves out there, then actually it, it, it's really difficult to get people to, to, to kind of kind of progress and to do that reflection bit. Because by doing reflection, you now start to critique. Yeah. If you don't feel psychologically safe, it's really you're often much more reticent to start to critique, particularly mm. if you f foresee if you um, think that somebody else who's perhaps got an agenda or has more power than you is putting forward an idea. Well, so, it's more likely you're going to defend, aren't you? That's than right. Critique. Mm, absolutely. And we see that. And, and look, and, and uh, you know, I, I try to uh, you know reflect back in every learning team that I've been involved with. The, it's a like there's always like a set of characters that, that participate in the learning team. And, and you always find someone who basically is going to say at some point that they've said all the stuff before and nothing ever happens. And, yeah. you know, one of my, one of my strategies is, is I get them to provide some clarity about what that was and get them to provide some examples or situations that that was able to arise so that they feel that they're actually being listened to at that point. Because they're saying it, they're saying it because they haven't been listened to in the past and they're trying to make a point. I, my job's not to apologize for what the organization has or hasn't done. 
my job is to basically say, you know, let, let's expand on that. Let's understand um, those circumstances, that those areas about when those things arose so that we can then build that as part of that learning team process. Because sometimes I wonder if trying to sort of agree with someone actually doesn't actually help them move forward. Because ultimately, we're trying to get them to move forward. Would that mm. be a fair comment? I think if you sometimes agree with them, what you can do is say, oh, in their view, oh, I was right, and therefore, it's exactly the way I said it was. And they can't move forward from that point, Yeah, can they? We see that from time to time. I had a, I, I was talking to a CEO a couple of weeks ago about learning teams. He goes, so what is it? And I said, well, in reality, what you're trying to do is help people understand or hear each other. You're really trying to help people hear each other and come to, and then develop some learning from that point. And I, and he goes, hmm. And then he rang me up a couple of days later and he goes, Okay, I quite like the idea. Makes sense. Right. So I think he might have had some reflection at that point. Oh, I think he ran a little learning team in his head. <laughs> <laughs> I was really pleased with that. That was uh, one of those interesting moments. I think it is really important that we do prime management about what a learning team is, particularly when they're new to it, because you're asking them to take this big, you know, jump of, uh, you know, this big sort of leap of faith, aren't you? I think that, you know, you do have to prime them to know that this is about allowing people to, to have their voice, to tell their story. Um, it, it's an opportunity for learning to take place, both at the worker end but also at the organizational end. And I think we need to prime the organization about what does that look like? Because I think sometimes they either see that it's going to be more than what it is or less than what it is. So it's really difficult at times to get people to, to, to come alongside and kind of, you know, just uh, yeah, go along for the journey, I suppose, and see how things unfold. Yeah, I love it when someone says to us, um, well, what if we learn too much? Now, mm. you know, it's as though it's as though that these things, it's as though this link of work is imagined and work is done isn't going to happen regardless. And they're scared that if they now know that it means that they're committed to doing something, when in reality, it's happening all the time. Mm. And we had that conversation the other day, um, Brent Robinson, about what, what's riskier from an organisation perspective Failing to know or failing to act. Yeah. And, yeah, and that comes back to the legislation, those two points, doesn't it? Yes, because the legislation has basically said the offending now is about failing to know. Yep. Because you have a duty to know. I, I, I still think that some people think that if they don't know, therefore they can't be blamed for not acting. And that's why the legislation effectively changed. Yeah, so like you couldn't the, use the, it. The blinkers, the head in the sand. Yes. Um, the, 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 is it, do we blame the three monkeys? Who do we blame? Who do we hold to account? Who do we, or, or if we use Carson, who do we hold for treason? <laughs> <laughs> which of those monkeys, which of those damn monkeys cause the problem? Yeah. I um, Just going back to Glynis's for points i really like that better than the word psychological safety because it actually shows a progression through it doesn't it 
It does, and I think we could, could. I think you could actually extend it even further to the organisational kind of learning that needs to take place, and and what does that look like? I haven't necessarily penned any titles for it, but I suspect that that continuum does actually continue on. You know, if we're looking at organisational culture um, that is wanting to be wiser as a result of having conversations about the complexities of how work is really being done, and and actually really understand those complexities oh well great food for thought for our listeners thank you listeners for being part of this podcast we would love to hear your learnings or other topics you would like us to explore about learning teams go to www.podcastlearnings.com and give us your feedback Become part of the community of practice with learning teams. Go to www.learningteamscommunity.com, support the authors of the practice of learning teams, purchase the book from Amazon.com or go to www.learningteamsbook.com for an inside look and other free book resources from the authors. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.